0: You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey,
1: your journey, your journey, your journey starts here. Here. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to Pratt Libraries. Um, writer's program this evening. I am Vivian Fisher, manager of the African American Department, and I bring you greetings. This evening we are pleased to have Professor Katrina McDonald, who joined the faculty of John Hopkins in 1994. She is a native of Northern California, where she received her Master's of Arts degree in Applied Communication Research from Stanford University and a Master's of Arts degree in Sociology and a Ph.D. was awarded to her in 1995 from the University of California, Davis. Currently, she holds the title of Associate Professor of Sociology and Co-Director for the Center of Africana Studies. She earned her tenure in the spring of 2006, the second black woman ever to be awarded tenure in the School of Arts and Sciences of the School of Engineering at Hopkins. She served as the Associate Dean of Multicultural Affairs from 2008 to, 30, to 2010 and her research and teaching interests focus on explicating how life is lived at the margins of society for disadvantaged social groups such as race, racial gender and class minorities. This evening Professor McDonald will discuss her work Marriage in Black: The Pursuit of Married Life Among American Born and Immigrant Blacks. Please join me in welcoming Katrina McDonald to the Pratt Library.
0: Thank you, Vivian. You're welcome, Katrina. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I, I guess I should start by making one little correction so I don't get in trouble. I'm actually not originally from California. I'm originally from North Texas. will be a dusty town called Denison. But I moved to California when I was about six years old and grew up there. Um, but I still very much think of myself as a Texan in many, in many ways. You almost can't when your grandfather was a major minister there. You know, you don't forget that stuff. So. Um, and it's always nice to go back to Texas. I actually looked on Google what is that? Google Earth, where you can see different places on the ground from the satellite. And, I, and they showed a picture of my little church still there. A little, I mean, little bitty... You know the typical little african-american church that you see still there with, with i remember the the bell that we would ring after sunday school and the spankings i would get God in the bathroom i remember that very well well i want to welcome you all here tonight and i'm so grateful that you're here uh, to share with me some thoughts about black marriage um my co-author Caitlin cross barnett in this book would have been here this evening but she had to go out of town and Caitlin is a former graduate student of mine, and she's been a wonderful friend and colleague now for about 15 years. So one day perhaps you'll meet her too, so she's really great. I asked her to join me in the that's project, working out pretty she's good. such an amazing writer, and she has yeah, a photographic memory, which I do not. So if I say, remember yeah, and then she can just rattle off whatever it is, where I'm still scratching my brain to remember. Uh, so I'm very, very, very proud to, to have done this work with her. This is actually my second book I was, here in January to talk about the first book called Embracing Sisterhood. It's a book about African-American women and their relationships with each other, more importantly, how they view black womanhood and the the black women's place in the world. Um, I came upon this project a bit later and I'll explain what my motivations were uh, and and how we came to design the book the way we did. And and tonight, I really wanna have more of a fireside chat kind of um, atmosphere uh, rather than my typical academic format, in part because the subject of marriage is a very intimate subject, and I wanted us you know, to be able to exchange um, comments and questions, and I'm actually allowing that all the way through, so anywhere you want to interject, ask me a question. Don't have to wait till the end. Feel free, okay? Um, I have a question to begin with, though, for all of us, and that question is, what would you say, can everyone hear me, first of all? Am I talking loudly enough? A little bit more, okay. Um, What would you say are the benefits of marriage? Or another way to say that is, what is the value of marriage? Stability. Stability. Assuming that your marriage is stable. (laughs) Having a teammate. A teammate. Teammate. Anybody else? Value of marriage. We rarely ask that question, do we? We just assume. People just assume that you know, marriage is a good thing, and we should all do it, and, you know, but we rarely talk about it. One of the real concerns I have is that we don't talk about this in front of children. So we have, we have young people growing up, understanding there's this thing called marriage, having not a clue how to get there, and they fall into relationships, then they get into marriage, and then they get divorced, because they've never, there was never a thought process. So a lot of what I do with young people today is I, have, I ask the same question, like, do you want to get married one day? Do you know what it is? And they usually say, I don't know. They go, yeah. And then they go, I don't know. And I say, how do you even know how to pick a partner? What, is it? what outcome do you want from it? Do you want children or not? You know, and they're like, hmm, I didn't think about that. Well, we got, I think we owe it to our children to have these discussions much earlier. Yes, it is. And we yes. don't teach that well either. <laughs>
2: yes. You know, more intimate with the politician. Because I can't assume that I know what you think because we in love.
0: And you can't assume that you know what I'm doing because you in love with Right. So the communication part is very... It's key. Now, we this is what we know. We know that for thousands upon thousands of years, Love had nothing to do with marriage, (laughs) right? Love had nothing to do with marriage. Marriage was two people coming together, bringing whatever assets they had for survival, right? Families would often arrange marriages, not because they, they were authoritarians, but because they were trying to make sure the match worked for the long haul for both families. Both families would depend on those two people succeeding in various ways. A lot of it was pure economic productivity, You know, they needed each other to work the farm, then they had 20 kids to help them, right? You'd had a lot of children to help you work the farm or or whatever business you might have or whatever. And then came the Industrial Revolution. With the Industrial Revolution, we got conveniences, right? Suddenly, your wife didn't have to toil as much because she's got a refrigerator, she's got a washing machine and iron, right? So life, there was space. And, and not just conveniences in the home and society at large. You know, now we have paved roads and we have um, traffic lights, all kinds of things that made life easier. So one had space to think about something other than getting up in the morning and doing what one had to do to survive. And at that point is when marriage became more of a fuzzy thing, you know, something to press rather than to demand for oneself. And having children wasn't about making sure we had enough kids to sustain us. It was about, oh, they're cute and I can dress them, <laughs> right? And I can take them to the park and show them off and, and all this kind of stuff. So, so life really shifted during that uh, pre-war period into the war period. And then once we hit the 50s, it was real cool because now we're, the middle class is set. You know, now we got suburbs and people can buy homes for a decent price and, you know, really, have a full life in so many ways. And again, children are not things to possess as much as to admire, you know. So we dress them really cute and we buy them special baby food and that kind of stuff. So we shifted our, our whole way of life. Family became a different kind of thing and with it came marriage. Marriage was less about demanding this so that we survive. It had more to do with, do you love me? And are you giving me enough attention you know, am I doing the right thing? You know, so it changed a lot. Um, it, the pace of change was very different for African Americans, right? Um, and we'll t- and I'll, I'll talk about a bit of that history more in a minute. But it, it was it was a bit different for different groups, for real. Not you know, there's the white experience, the black experience, the Asian experience, the Native American. There were all very different experiences, but we all went through that major transition when it came time for industrialism, and then we've had almost a, a different movement every decade since with you know, civil rights and feminist movement and other kinds and now we're in the, um, the explosion of you know, electronics and electronic mediums and things like that. So life changes with our technologies, period, okay? So the value of marriage changed largely because of our, uh, our needs changed. We, didn't, we weren't boxed in as much. We had the freedom, and not to mention, now we got the advent of the movie Right, so now we've got romantic movies, we've got television shows showing romance, and people, you know, really wanted to be part of that excitement. So, in life, we started turning more inward to feelings than about the doing of marriage. Okay, so let me first quickly go over the handout I gave you. I just wanted you to see the layout of the book, it's eight chapters, and I start off just by talking in the way that I'm talking to you now about the way in which we see marriage change over time, but in particular, I focus on the the plight of the African American in all of this, which is really concentrated in chapter two. In chapter two, I really do look at how African Americans have had to struggle over time for a lot of things, but certainly to anchor themselves in marriage because they weren't allowed to marry. So in Africa, it was different, right? And marriage took a very different form, as we well know. Marriage had multiple forms in Africa, depending on where in Africa you were from and which particular tribe you were from. Where it was much more communal, where when a, a husband and wife married, they married the whole family, all that, all those people <laughs> married in, right? And then there were a lot of polygamous relationships, whereby there may have been one husband and multiple women, um, and all these children, but they all lived in a compound. You know, it was a very communal kind of thing. And there were rules. I think a lot of times when we think about polygamy, we think, ooh, the guy can just do whatever he wants. No, nah, that's not quite how it worked. There were rules, and one of the main rules was that you had to be able to afford all those women. If you couldn't feed all those women and children, you could not have all those children. So it varied from man to man whether you know, he had the riches to sustain a huge thing. And that, and polygamy wasn't by any means the only form. People think that Africa was all about a, a, a polygamy, and it wasn't, but it did exist in certain places. More importantly, people had much more control over, I mean, there in Africa, you, the, the culture was in control of its own practices. But once Africans were brought to the US, it was no longer in their control. And as you already know, I'm sure, marriage wasn't an option. You had no option for marriage, okay? So let's, um, let me finish just making sure you understand that chapter three is where I talk about contemporary African American marriages, I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. Specifically, I wanted to understand what does it mean to get into a relationship and how are people flowing from meeting to dating to getting married? Why? Because we never talk about it. <laughs> the whole reason for this book is that it talks about marriage. How many books on black marriage have you seen that are not novel or self-help books? Rarely in social science do we talk about black marriage. What do we talk about? Black divorce? and black non-marriage, as if black marriage doesn't exist. So that was a major reason I got into this. Chapter um, four talks about men and women in marriage and egalitarianism, which I'll talk about. I highlighted it there because that's one thing I really do want to focus on tonight. Um, the fifth chapter is about parenting within marriage and the, you know, how, how husbands and wives negotiate that parenting role. Chapter six is the one I love most, and I'll be talking about that um, tonight, and the title is not gonna make any sense to you, so I'll give you the background on that. And chapter seven talks about conflict within marriage, which as as you can understand, it's largely about issues around sex, issues around money, and there are other things that certain couples struggle with. And then I kind of give a conclusion. What's important to know is that this research, I'm a sociologist, so my work is considered sociological or social research, I am a qualitative researcher, meaning I don't focus so much on collecting statistical data, though I often use them. I focus on on, on narrative data. I like having face-to-face conversations with people and conglomerating those conversations and come up with some, what's the common theme that arises from that? That's practically all my work comes in that form, and it began when I was in graduate school Um, When I applied to my doctoral program, I was actually very much interested in young girls, and I still am today, as you guys both know. I've always been fascinated with teenage girls, and they're they're making sense of the world as they age, right? At that time in 80, I think it was 84, 85, around there, the music video came into being, right? MTV came in all the local stations. And I would watch these music videos and see the image of the black woman shifting as quick as it, right? So one minute, they're really playing up. A tall, slender, uh, fair-skinned woman with long, straight hair. Six months later, they, you know, if you look across the videos, they were plump black women with kinky hair. That, you know, it would shift, and so I just wondered, how are young girls finding them in all of that? Like, what image do they see of themselves in that stuff? And I worried about whether it was stunting their growth That was my plan to follow that subject through grad school. When I turned in my application and mentioned teen black girls in there, this one professor said, oh, I want to get her as my research assistant for a teenage pregnancy project. I'm like, that's not what I said I wanted to study at all. But one takes a job when a job is offered. So when I did get accepted, I became his research assistant. And he literally threw me in the research field and said, sink or swim, he himself is a statistician of sorts, he's a social demographer, and his, his issue was why are so many black babies dying? This was really hot at the time in the 80s. The rate at which black babies were dying uh, by the age, let's see, under age one, was enormous, and it still is. It is still twice the rate of white babies dying. Um, and nobody knew why, <laughs> you know? I mean, they knew there was something, epidemiological. You know, I'm sorry, no, not, I don't think we've gotten that much further, honestly. But, you know, there were all, I mean, NICHD, the, the governmental research place that does help it, and, see, and the Centers for Disease Control, and even the March of Dimes, other groups, we're just pouring thousands upon millions of dollars into this. And my, my professor had a huge grant, so he was doing his typical statistical work, looking at all of these variables. But then he had a little money left over, so what he wanted me to do is get deeper and find out what's going on in the lives of young girls that would make it such that their babies are dying. I'm like, really? I'm gonna do that. So, okay. so I did. So I was literally thrown into a teenage pregnancy clinic, and I had to recruit this girl, these girls, along with a colleague of mine, and we eventually, you know, talked to them and tried to understand the process of their lives and what might be bearing upon them that would make them more vulnerable to losing their babies. Um, in the in the process of doing that, I saw a, a a poster. This has nothing to do with any of this, by the way. A poster. <laughs> of a woman, a poster advertising a group called the Birthing Project. The Birthing Project was an organization that was seeking to intervene into this black infant mortality issue. Um, then a few weeks later, I saw another poster of theirs, but it looked much more formal. You know, first it looked like a community organization, like a sister circle, but then it looked really formal. So we, my friend and I were like, what's going on? So we decided to go meet them. And when we did, we found out something so fascinating, which was that there were, um, middle and working class black women who were volunteering to steer young black women through their pregnancies to do everything they could to make sure that baby lived. And at the beginning, they took the hardest cases they could find. These women were in prison, pregnant. And at the time, the county of Sacramento, California, did not allow those women to give birth outside of their shackles. They would literally be in the birth bed with handcuffs and leg cuffs. And nobody in the room but a police officer, a correctional officer, doctors, nurses, and a social worker. So what they did is say no. <laughs> they intervened and they got that law changed. And they also made it so that there was always members of their organization in the room with the, with the woman. So that that baby came into the world, caressed. Right? It was fascinating. So I got really attached to all of that. And ultimately that's what I did my dissertation on. It wasn't all the other stuff I thought I was going to do. But my dissertation focuses on not the infant mortality issue so much, even though that's obviously there, but it was in, I asked two questions in my work. What is making these, what, what why are these women doing such hard work <laughs> with women they don't even know? These women that they paired up with, they didn't know them. Why are they putting so much effort in it? Well, what they answered sounded so much like what you hear the women of the black, uh, black women's club movement that began in slavery and went well into the 40s, early 50s. All over the United States, black women formed these little clubs all over the nation to service other women, to deal with children and their education, health issues. Whatever. That's how the black community sustained itself through these small organizations, including black banks. Remember, we had black banks. and We had lots of things like that. These women talk in that same language that I read in the history books. I'm like, oh my god, that's so cool and they're still with us. I thought, I'm gonna do my dissertation on that group and that little nonprofit is gonna die in five years. Here we are 20 something, nine years later and they're still in force and they're international. So they have chapters in Ghana, in Uganda, in Puerto Rico, in Cuba, right? So I came into being a sociologist from that angle and my first book is really a takeoff from what I just described to you in looking at the sisterhood issue the bonding of women and caring for each other and doing their community work. But then I, you know, I, as a sociologist, I couldn't ignore all these other things I was forced to read in college and afterwards, which kept talking about black marriage as if it was something to disdain, right? It was just constant. And as a black woman in the classroom, you always felt like, "Dang, hey, I happen to know a couple of black married people. Goodness, you know. But you would swear by reading the social science that there were no black married people at all. I mean, because all they talked about was the fact that there were so few relative to whites. It was always relative to the percentage of whites who were married. Or, you know. So, so I, I eventually in my career said, I've got to deal with this. You know. And I uh, never really intended to write a book about it, but here we are, because I kept pressing on that. Um, and as you can see from the outline of the book I can't talk about all this tonight so again I'm going to focus on some specific things but I want to let you know that what the sample is for the study are 61 couples Um, I call them contemporary couples because they're young they were in their 30s at the time I could have interviewed people in their 50s and 60s whatever but we kind of already know we have a lot of historical documents that tell us what a lot of narratives a lot of books you know, were people telling narratives about married life in that cohort. But now we've got this new millennial group, right? And I wanted to know how are they faring in this crazy world we're in now, right? So I did interview 61 couples. They were in their 30s. More importantly, I wanted to go beyond just the monolithic label black. Every study that's done on black marriage, divorce, whatever, just says black, black, black black or African-American meaning black but I was like, wait but we're, we're not a monolith, right we're not one group it's got to be some variation there so hence the title of the book includes the includes Caribbean immigrants and African immigrants of the two other groups that I made sure were part of that 61 so I could do a little comparison because I'm like I know not every story is the same granted what I used to always call to my students I used to say when I talk about black people I mean plain old black people What's that mean? I meant people who know, this is how I had to define it, people who know or have good reason to believe that they are the descendants of slaves in the U.S. Not everybody is, right? That's another misnomer, is that every black person you see, they got some great, 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 great pappy who was enslaved. No, why? We know there were tons of free blacks who never were enslaved, and other blacks come from around the way into the U.S. Right? So I wanted to be sure at least that much variation. The other variation we looked at was social class. We know social class stand- status matters. You know The resources you have to live with matters as to you know, how you do life. So, so we looked at those two things very carefully here, what we call ethnic differences among blacks and also social class. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I found very little difference by social class, which is surprising because we learn mm-hmm. as sociologists of Everything's about class, right? Everything is about that. But we really didn't see that in terms of the way, and and again, the the particular questions that I asked about marriage with them, we didn't really find much variation by class, but we certainly found some by ethnicity. The difference of the three groups are what we call American-born blacks, which is I used to call the Plano blacks, uh, people who are more recently from Africa and more recently from the Caribbean. So the other things, uh, very important thing I have to mention is that Marriage in Black reports on contemporary heterosexual marriages. And, that, uh, and we were keenly aware that even, and we should all be keenly aware, that in the midst of the madness of chattel slavery um, and the madness of other eras that followed slavery, same-sex unions involving African Americans have indeed been present and quite plentiful. They're documented in various ways, but we never talk about it. I mean, we never talk about it being something that's been with us all along. We think of it as something that happened yesterday. This realization has great import, given the debate that has raised in the U.S. over the last two to three decades. But at the same time, we conducted our research, or I should say, when we conducted our research with these individuals, the same-sex marriage was not yet legal, right? And our focus was on legal marriage, and that's the only reason that same-sex marriages are not reflected in this book, because it didn't fit at the time. If I had waited about two or three years, then I would have had them included. Now, recall that in 1865, with the passage of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, previously enslaved blacks were finally afforded the right to legally marry. Though, as we know, this did not extend to same-sex nor interracial marriage. From the time of their capture in Africa and throughout their enslavement in the West, blacks in the United States faced tremendous barriers um, entering into marriages, and marriages during the, the slave period weren't truly marriages because they weren't legal. They were, I mean, even if the slave master allowed them to have a marriage ceremony, they weren't, right? they, they weren't recognized as married. And so it wasn't until after. Um, so there were all these barriers that they had to overcome. And, Most other groups of people around the world didn't experience that problem. They could get married, including Africans living in Africa prior to the slave trade. Marriage was a given thing. It took until 67 for blacks in the U.S. to win the right to marry people of any race. And then finally, in 2015, a landmark Supreme Court decision established a national right to same-sex marriage, overturning the Defense of Marriage Act. This gave couples of all races the right to marry within their sex and legitimized the kinds of same-sex relationships that have been existing throughout history. Important to note then, the desire of black men and women to form marital unions has been strong all along and continues. Here's the truth too: almost every person says they want to marry. Almost every person. There's some people say that, you know. But the vast majority of people say it's, you know, yeah, I would like to marry. And guess what? The vast majority of people do marry at some point in their lives. Now, we have what's called cross-sectional statistics. That means I'm gonna take a portrait of the United States right now, right? So in that moment, what is the percentage of people who are married? It's different than saying how many people marry over time, right? So if you do like so, this person could have been married here or there not captured. Right, so it depends on what kind of data you're looking at. When you look at it, what we call longitudinally, so take a person through their lives, almost everybody gets married at least once, Everybody. But you don't get that feeling from the cross-sectional data that just points to right now, okay? So that's all very important. So there are four very distinct motivations that led to the creation of the social research project that resulted in marriage in black. The first and primary motivation was to interrupt what has been literally decades of sociological focus on black divorce and black non-marriage, two things that are cast as inherently pathological tendencies among people of African descent. Black people just don't know how to marry. They don't have what it takes to be married. Black people, da-da-da. That's how the talk has been for decades actually for centuries, but in terms of documented academic stuff, probably the last 30, 40 years, that's all you see. The pinnacle project was in 1965. Daniel Patrick Moynihan was the head of a congressional committee, I'm sure a lot of you heard of this, and they wrote a a governmental document from Congress called the Negro Problem, the national case for whatever, I forgot the last word, there. but it, we actually had an f- official government title. And he was very, I like Daniel Patrick Moore, he just died, what, within the last 10 years. Very nice man. And I always liked him, very strong Democrat. Um, he did, you know, he did, he, did, <laughs> he did the right thing. He, you know, he brought forth all of these black academics to help him get the data right. The conclusions, though, were painful. The conclusion was there's something wrong with the black family, therefore something wrong with the black population. So everything about the black population, everything that that was besieging the black population, poverty, lack of education, residential segregation, whatever measure, ultimately was blamed on the family itself. And guess what, the main family member they blamed, who was it? The black woman (laughs) was just like, it's her. So, while my book is not the typical journey through the analysis of black marriage like we see elsewhere, it also is neither a purely celebratory tale steeped in Afrocentrism, which I love to do, um, I can't ignore what underlies a lot of the troubling issues of black marriage. There's no denying that black married people are, are at a greater risk for divorce than couples of other racial ethnic groups. and. That, um, and that currently only about 31% of blacks are married. And that number continues to go down every 10 years or so, right? It's been on a steady decline since about the late 40s and early 50s. Well, probably, I'll say mid 50s probably, when we started seeing the decline. Now, it went from 0% in slavery, right? To What happened after slavery? Like 90 something percent, right? People ran out the gates of the plantation. I mean, they literally ran out the gates of their plantation looking for their loved ones who they'd been separated from. You know, whether it was a spouse or, you know, a spouse in slavery that got sold off. They went looking or whatever. And then the Freedmen's Bureau, which was a governmental agency that after the Civil War was about trying, well, what was it really about? Let's clarify. The Freedmen's Bureau was about, on the one hand, moving blacks from slave economy to capitalist economy, helping them figure out how, where do we put them in the economy now that they're free? Do you know what the answer was? Sharecropping, okay? They put them in the sharecropping economy, which was where, which was basically slavery, okay? Because you could never get out of debt. And we're, you know, it was just an awful situation. But here's the other thing they did. We want to make their families right. So they literally went door to door and said, you guys, are you in love? Let's marry you now on the porch. Right? They literally went around marrying people, people who were in relationships who hadn't really cared whether they were in a legal marriage or not. They'd been together forever or whatever. Is this, the girl? this is a freedman's girl did that. They, I mean, I was shocked when I read not long ago, about two years ago, that they literally would knock on the door <laughs> and say, hey, I hear you guys have been together in slavery. Fucking love. Let's let's do this now, right? I mean, literally. Um, But other people voluntarily rushed in to get a marriage license because for the first time they could be a couple for real, for real. So the percentage went way up, right at that point. And it stayed up. And one of the people don't know that the heyday of Black life was right after Reconstruction. You had blacks in Congress, you had black mayors, you had black everything, you had black banks, you had black, you had black. And then come the 40s, 50s, what happened? Even probably late 30s. Ku Klux Klan swooped in, swooped in. So just like now, just like now, the voices of the white supremacists were saying, they can't have that. What do you mean they're happy? What do you mean they bought a house? What do you mean their children are in college? No, this is our country. And they went around lunching folks just stopping in its trap. Where we are today as black people is because of that. Don't get it. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. It's because of what happened back then. When they burnt down Oklahoma right the black township in Oklahoma was burnt to the ground. The one in Florida was burnt to the ground. Black banks were burnt. You know, they just literally said, "We're not having it." And how does any how does any population recover from something that broad that happens, still happens? Correct? Yes. <laughs> so. We know, though, that despite the small percentage today, 31%, probably a little less now, it's also a fact that black marriage survives through the transatlantic slave trade, through reconstruction, through lynching, through political disenfranchisement, and the fierce racial segregation that persists to the present day. Marriage still survives. That it survives at all should be the thing to marvel at, yeah? And despite all these barriers, again, blacks are just as intent on marrying as anybody else. The issue is, can they? It isn't that they don't want to. People, people constantly look, the, look at today's population and say, they don't want to marry. Oh, God, you know, these women don't. want to. No, no, no. It's not that they don't want to. The question is, what makes for marriage? Are they given the tools and the resources? Yes, ma'am? Yes, you can. <laughs> Yes. That, yeah, black stuff is, more like is it money? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes like, when you got money for the yeah. yeah. So let's just yeah it over there. <laughs> religion? Um, okay. Sometimes sometimes religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's just like, you know, I don't think the word yet. Like yeah, more, yeah <laughs> I mean just over there. <laughs> um it's funny to me sometimes when I meet people who live like that. I know I've known a lot of people in my life who I didn't know. <laughs> Cause they just—they're like, okay, you know, I love you more. And I'm not really hating. They were still of, slave status, but some people say because that's where we started, we were already sort of in the mode of the equals, and that's giving you a better debt. And then, but 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 keep in mind, in slavery. Who mm-hmm. they are? Black's desire to marry again strongly persists. But because research on marriage itself is why it's so lacking, I said I had to step in here. Because we don't know anything. I realized I didn't really know much about that black man, even myself, because there's just not a lot to find out here. So we sought to better understand the inner workings of black man, the intimacy, of everything, the challenges of black man. Historically, people of color have any value. of the academy you never uh, you never pose as something you're not, right? So I'm like, hold up, I'm not a marriage counselor. I don't I'm not a psychologist, I mean, I'm a sociology. I don't you know right. Yes, I am married, <laughs> yes. but In this, excuse me. The initiation of a romantic relationship has changed dramatically over the last few years. I guess you know that, and more than maybe more than 20 point. Um, for example, it has been some time since the parents of a young couple were the primary players in bringing the couple together. Right? We don't have as much parental um, involvement in these things. Um, this is particularly true among white Americans. Although it is still true among that they also have kind of distance themselves from the parent being the primary, you know, conduit. And with the technological age came the advent of internet dating, where people use online math and software to help identify highly compatible and attractive problems. Two chapters in a particular book um, on this speak very optimistically about the ability of the internet to facilitate the initiation and maintenance of romantic relationships. And there was a study done that 2005 and 2012, there was something like one in three had met their spouse online. Note, however, that only one of the 61 couples that I interviewed used the So, in my sample, there was only one couple that said that they actually used the in internet. They met in a very different way. Um, most American-born black study couples met through a friend or a relative or at school early. A guy named Marlon Bird, his friend, reported to him early on that some girl named Gwen was fine and had fat <laughs> oh, To Marlon, <laughs> that was a great start. <laughs> Joking aside, Marlon also uh, uh, liked that Gwen was a homebody. was down to earth, with no nonsense. He also liked that she was opinionated It could stand up to me. Gwen was persuaded to grow closer to him when he professed, come on, I'm not like those other guys, Da da this and da da that. All right, just to prove you wrong, you gonna start
2: dating
0: me. <laughs> now, now, this is amazing. These are uh, American boys. Quinn and Carla met while playing basketball at a local state university. She tried to guard me, he said. <laughs> <laughs> and they continued playing together throughout their eight years of dating. He was a scientist she was a question. They lovingly joked about how the two of them have never agreed on details of how they actually met. She likes to change the story up a lot. As Carla described the early days with Quinn, she recalled that he was a nice person, a good person friend. On the whole, the meeting of African-American meets were uh, described in terms of things like kismet. There was a lot of that in my head. Like they talked about, we just it was just some moment when I knew this person for me. Um, and these couples were much more expressive. The African-American couples versus uh, these, the very born couples, more so than the Caribbean African and the whites, but I, I did whites too as comparison. They were much more expressive. And they would say things, a lot of terms of endearment like um, my baby, my trophy, my perfect woman, my queen. This was so Constantly, black men are referred to women that way. Uh, the women, while also vocal about their physical attraction to the men, were more likely to be impressed by a man who is decent, <laughs> by his being someone who behaved and treated them like they were special, a gentleman, and by his showing
2: interest in
0: children, whether the woman's own children were in question or not. A woman by, Charlene, by the name of Charlene Kelly spoke of her mate as a one woman man. Takes more, than just, uh, takes more than just your looks to turn his head. Something so she found quite comforting that he, he would be on um, her looks to be to her. Now there were two experiences that were more distinct among the American women world than the other ones. One experience was that of meeting their race when they were very young. As young as middle Right? A lot of the couples had met in middle school and we're still together in the This means that by the time we encountered them, again, it had been about 20 years. Um, the other experience was that the mates were often bound together by the love and loyalty of what the women had paid to their men during times when the men suffered personal trouble. The law enforcement, and That she stuck by them was what that is. That that this experience was more common among those from the war class is not surprising, but it wasn't just. With, uh, uh, with men and considered to be an accepted part of the African Caribbean because of the masculine social so a lot of people talk, talk about there's something inherent to the Caribbean masculinity. masculine Had at least one of the white couples, and this is a very short statement. The Will Consists, Harold and Benton. They met at a market near a local hospital so in there, um, where he sold pretzels and where she would regularly buy, regularly buy ice cream That's how they She would buy ice tea from him. On their first date, she brought along four of her friends. <laughs> four of her friends, just in case. Things didn't work out. I love that part. Okay? So there's, there's story and story and story like that throughout the book where these couples, you know, met in all kinds of ways. Um, and they really found themselves connected. And they didn't want to marry like you know, sometimes they can discover it but they could go to Okay. So let me just talk very briefly about the egalitarian issue so that we're clear. Sociologists. And essential to a functioning society. So there was talk, there was a talk for a long time about how shall we guide people in family life, and we decided, well, men should have certain things to do, and women should have certain things to do, should, things to do should never fall. Some argue that separate marriage roles for men and women created conjugal solidarity, bringing cousins and wives closer together, and that marriages like these were a model for the Having specific roles increase people's dependence on each other, thus made people bond because they need each other. The parts people play create a community in the way that our heart, liver, and other organs function as the body. So that's the that's sociological model of the that is the body. In the mid-20th century America, functionalists, as they were called, argued that the greater good of society depended in part on husbands and wives having different roles in family, with women playing the expressive and then playing the instrumental breadwinner role. In the language of economists, it was suggested that having two roles, one based upon home and one of the workforce, allowed couples to maximize their utility. In other words, having separate specializations helped couples be richer. Sounds like a To come, right? <laughs> to come. That's why we have the wage gap. Right? That's why women make less of these. So there were so many couples Or whatever, you learn about the world from them. But no, no, no. Today's television, primarily, and other media where Americans are seduced, educated, transformed by ideas concerning things like race, gender, class, on a global level. And these ideas often support white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. Virtually everything that we take. buy into the negative portrayals that are promoted by the media. They are said to be experiencing what we call internalized racism. which We can't start to believe is we by them. That is, they sometimes couldn't accept those images and ideas that bombard them. We kept our eyes open Um, of the various forms, I think that's my form Of the various forms of media that we access today, again, television was a primary one. There was an, uh, a gentleman from Trinidad named Donald. He had a wife named Sandra, who's was a married black. They were a middle-class couple who decided that instead of noting the absence of blacks on television, they would try to recall where they had actually seen black marriage on TV. <laughs> right? And I love this exchange. <laughs> I, I love this exchange. So, Sandra. And Donald Saunders says, on television you see white people. They are married, you know, that's what you see. But on like, a lot of black shows, you see otherwise, except for, like, of course, the Cosby show and stuff like that. Everybody talks about it. And then I say, what what shows do we have with black people that are married, other than the Cosby show? Donald said, let's see. They say, not they say, no, they're uh-huh. forced. Donald said, I'm going to say the practice. That is one. It is called practice, right? Couldn't even remember. <laughs> Grace Anatomy! Shit, Saunders said. But the one that... We don't have to believe that too much. We know how labor is. But the white couples waited far less than black couples. One primary assertion, and that is that the couple highly values religion and, and that religion plays a central role in their marital lives. Whites were less likely to talk about that. There were several couples who expressed that religion was foundational to marriage and vital to marital longevity. These comments were based on either personal experience or on the dictates of their faith. A number of couples like the American-born and prophets reported that their churches offered valuable support in diffusing various sorts of marital conflict and developing coping skills. The Derwits, who were Ethiopian and the other spouse was American, say that there was one time when they, they credited their church and their faith for having saved them. Meredith Kennedy, was wife, said that she learned how to treat each other with respect based on religious principles. And she, leaned, uh, she learned from her religiously devoted parents, even though she also expressed concern that her parents themselves were racist. Okay. <laughs> yeah. other, other couples took to their um, religion for clarity on, on interpreting religious faith, um, where marriage is concerned. Uh, this interview content about religion primarily was reflected with American black and African American couples. The evidence was like, awful. But here's the thing that I picked up in the interviews is that it depends on which religion colonized that particular part of As to why they were what they were. Oh, if the sure. Catholics go over to Africa and put their stuff together with people that are Catholic, it's like seven ministry, the Seventh day Adventists were over you know, so their their religious dictates come from a very colonial experience. Interesting that it still shows me today. One of the most intriguing discussions we had in the world religion was through Kenneth Buckley, who talked about the flexibility in his wife are forced to employ in order to accomplish their goals. They were Sudanese, right? And I was surprised that I just knew that my Muslim friends were going to say, the Quran is the God. Point eight, done. But instead, they said, well, and you're about devout Muslim? I read the front of it. But in America, Okay, America, specifically, what says again that she came here and she divorced me, and that the wife's salary means nothing and the husband. Black immigrant couples focused their comments primarily on how their cultural approach to marriage and family differed from the American world. But at times, there was empathy toward them, toward the American world. Um, or at least understanding that life in America was uniquely difficult for those who had experienced racial and economic oppression over the full course of their lives, not to mention over their generational ancestors. At times, whites also articulated similar understanding even while some of them delivered harsh criticism from their bullying. And they were the whites had a lot to say that they felt blacks just are big As is true for most other content reported in my book, we found
1: little variation again
0: among the social among social law.